0: Good evening. Good to see you. The Moonies are here. Great that they're able to be back. I expected you to look almost deathly or something. Anyway, I'm grateful you're here. If you will make your way to 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. promise we won't be here very long. I know several of you plan, although fireworks can't start till 8.30 anyway, so you might as well be here, right? Let's just stay 8 8.30. You all right with that? No. Oh, okay. Hmm. Anyway, grateful that you're here. Um, what a weird picture to put on the on the on the, on the screen. Uh, the title is uh, what is the title? I can't even see that. Can anybody see that? That's weird. When your prayer clashes with God's purpose, that's the. And so I wanted to put a picture of somebody who clashes. And Melissa would say this clashes, right? But I'll bet you a lot of people think that's styling. Is is that okay? Does that look okay? How many would say that looks okay? How many say that breaks every rule of fashion sense? Okay, older people say fashion sense. Some younger ones say it's okay. The idea is uh, something's not matching, and that's kind of what we're talking about tonight. So let's start um, at the very first. He's already read it, but I'm going to read it again. Now, when the king had lived in his house, remember, uh, he he built this house from Hiram, the the king of Tyre, sent him all this stuff, and these professionals who could do it, built it out of the best wood available, cedar from Lebanon, right? Um, And the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies, so he has his house, his permanent residence, stable and secure and strong, and he has rest from all his surrounding enemies— And he has the Ark of the Covenant in its home tent. The king said to Nathan the prophet, this is Nathan's debut. First time we see Nathan in the story, but we'll see him again as you know. See now, I dwell in a house of cedar while the Ark of God dwells in a tent. I'm in a house, God's Ark is in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, go do all that's in your heart for the Lord is with you. Tonight we're going to be talking about sometimes the worst thing that can happen is that you get what you ask for. You actually get it. This chapter is one of the most fundamental chapters in all of Scripture. It's going to be something Jesus fulfills and it's going to say something about Him uh, and we'll get to that later. But the story that we get is about David having this dream that he can't possibly fathom God would not like. You ever have that thing, this, this thing I'm envisioning, how can this not be consistent with the will of God? How can this prayer and this dream I have in my mind not be perfectly in line with what God would want? You start thinking already, there's no way God would say no to this, and you start, getting, you start envisioning it actually happening. It becomes downright intoxicating to you. You can't imagine anything more satisfying, and it would be pleasing to God too. And why wouldn't God endorse that? Why wouldn't God want that? Everything's lining up just like David wanted. Jerusalem's his. The ark is home. Enemies are gone. Peace is here. And when there's peace and he's not fighting, danger's around the corner, as you know from the story. So here's what happens. That same night, Nathan says, hey, that sounds good. You do whatever's on your mind. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David. Thus says the Lord. Here's God's idea. Nathan's opinion is it's great. David's opinion is that it's great. God's opinion's not that. Thus says the Lord. Would you build me a house to dwell in? I've not lived in a house since the day I brought up my people Israel from Egypt to this day, but I've been moving about in a tent for my dwelling and all the places where I've moved with all the people of Israel. Did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now thus shall you say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I've been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of one of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell within their own place and be uh, be disturbed no more." and violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time when I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. He will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever i'll be with him like a father and he will be to me a son when he commits iniquity i will discipline him with the rod of men with the stripes of the sons of men but my steadfast love will not depart from him as i took it from saul whom i put away from before you and your house your kingdom shall be made sure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words, in accordance with all this vision, David, uh, Nathan spoke to David. Thinking of all the things he can do to honor God, he says, I want to build him a house. I want to build him something that communicates the grandeur of God, the nature of God, the permanence of God, the strength and the stability and the glory of God. And that sounds like a great idea. Wouldn't you think so? I would think so. What a noble gesture. He even mentions this to the prophet Nathan. And Nathan says, I'm a prophet of God and I approve this message. They can't imagine that God wouldn't want that. You ever had a thought you can't imagine God would disagree with? I just can't see God ever being against something like this. And so you start planning and imagining it, and you can't figure out how God would ever do that. And then comes a no. The door slams in your face. And that's what happens in this particular scene. Now, this is not an unusual thing in Scripture. You know people who had great prayers that were denied. Jesus was denied. And you know why God said no to him. He said no to Jesus so he could say yes to you. And for that, you're grateful. And for that, we live our lives faithfully. It's a little more hazy, him saying no to his great servant, Paul. Paul trying to do these great, wonderful things and establishing the Gentiles within the kingdom. And, And Paul keeps saying to him, you know, I could do so much more I could accomplish so much greater things if you would take this thorn that even Scripture seems to affirm Satan put there. If you would take this thorn out, I could do so much more. And God says, no, no. And even explains himself. You're going to get cocky. You're going to get to thinking it's all about you. And so I'm going to use that thorn for my purposes. I'm going to get as more glory out of you with the thorn than without it. That's a significant explanation. But this request, David building this great structure to convey the grandness of God, how can that be anything but good? Well, God explains a little bit. But before we talk about that, think of this. Do you know people who had every intention of living faithful lives, walking with God, being close to him, bringing him glory in the world, and then they prayed for some other things, and those other things obstructed their walk? By God saying, yes, I'll give you a nice job. Yes, I'll give you plenty of income. Yes, I'll give you this and that. And by giving them that, it sabotaged this greater purpose of a closer walk with God. You know people who've done this? If you could have, if you could actually win the lottery as we have all imagined doing, but in winning it, it would compromise your spiritual integrity, would you still want it? If you you pray, usually... At the end, we might say, not my will but yours to be done. And the idea is this, God, if if I'm asking for anything that you granting it would cause me to grow more distant from you, disregard my request. And that's kind of what David got here. If you could only have one request, a closer walk with God or more of all this other stuff you pray for, which would you want? Nathan says, sounds like a great plan, but the next morning he's on David's doorstep walking back his comments like a lot of politicians do, right? And so Nathan speaks and he says, I got to tell you, God gave me a vision last night. And one of the things I appreciate about David most, one of the things I appreciate about Nathan most is he could speak to power and not change the message, To be able to say, this is what God says, knowing that that person you're speaking to has the power of life or death over you, and yet you speak something that could be interpreted as harsh or negative. But what I like about David is, while he is a king, he respects the authority God places in his life. Even as king sitting on the throne, Nathan is given permission by God to say hard stuff to David, and David listens. And so Nathan comes. He says, i got to walk back what I said last night. I gave you my personal opinion, and my personal opinion was it sounded great, but God has another idea in mind. And here are some of the reasons God said no. Number one in verse 6, if you look back at verse 6. It's an interesting question. I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I've been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. One reason is a temple is theologically inaccurate about me. A temple is theologically inaccurate. I'm not stationary. I don't live in a house. I'm wherever you people are. You can't put me in a structure and think that I'm just sitting there, and then you can go about your lives and think that, oh, well, he's over in the temple and I'm away from him. That's conveying something wrong. Ever since since you guys have been a nation, I've asked for this tent because I can move, and you guys, I'm in the middle of everything you do. A temple's not. And I don't know, you know how God said, I don't want you to have any graven images? How is a temple not a graven image? It is a graven image. And in fact, the temple becomes one of the biggest faults of Israel. And finally, God lets it be destroyed and says, because you've missed the whole point of the whole thing. Over and over, it gets destroyed because they they think wrong thoughts. Sometimes the things that we think have consequences, right? Right? I move around. I've got freedom. I'm not stationary. There was a time when they said, we want to convey the strength of God, so they build a golden calf because a calf is so strong, right? But while that conveys strength, it doesn't convey other things about God. His holiness, His grace, His mercy, these images are accurate to a point, but then they become totally inaccurate. And so God said, I don't want an image. I just want you to trust my word. I'm too complex for an image. And sometimes the things we do can have consequences. There might be people come along and think, you know, baptism would be quicker if we would sprinkle or if we would pour. And yes, you would get wet, but the point is not getting wet. You lose a theological import of immersion and burial when you do anything other than complete immersion in water. And that's why we we have a fit when somebody wants to change that. It's theologically inaccurate. Easier? Yes. Quicker? Yes. More efficient? Yes. Theologically inaccurate. And because of that, we don't need to do this. There's too much invested in. Sometimes our church buildings are like this. Sometimes our church buildings become things we hope. And our architecture. I know churches that used to have a Lord's Supper table right center because the Lord's Supper is central. And then they moved a couple to the side. And then they moved them out and moved them back there. And just the way you build a building says something. And the way we do things... God just says, I I didn't ask for this because I move around with you. And what I love about us is this building right now is holy. But in about, you're hoping, 10 minutes, it won't be. There's nothing special about this empty building. But when God's people meet here, it becomes a dwelling of God. But here's the beauty of the New Testament. Wherever you go... God is there. Don't don't fall for this idea that we, we go to the Lord's house. No, the Lord's house goes wherever you are. It's right in there with you, and you carry it around, and he's there present with you, and you're never where he's not. That Joshua prophecy of Joshua 1 is really true for you. I'm with you wherever you go. So don't fall for this. It's theologically inaccurate to build a temple, God says. Verse 7. In all the places where I moved, well, the people of Israel, did I ever speak a word with any of the judges whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel saying, why haven't you built me a house? Here's a second reason. God didn't ask for it. God never once said, you know, I feel jipped because the real estate you haven't. Never. He never asked anybody for it. I, I don't, I think there's certain things God feels honored when we do. For him, we we live certain ways in life. We do certain things in honor of him. But can I tell you, it's when you do what God asks you to. It's obviously glorifying. It's what He's asked. But when you when you want to do something for Him that He never asked, be a little careful with that. I never asked you for a house. I never asked. And can I tell you, I mean, we don't talk about this, and I don't want to talk about it all the time, but do you know why we don't use instruments? He never asked. Not in the New Covenant. He never once asked. And he had ample opportunity to do so, didn't he? So let's just do what he asked. Sing and make melody in our hearts, and leave the rest to whatever I don't have to judge people who do. I'm just saying he didn't ask. And that is enough. Third, back up to verse 5, and I'm going to ask you a trivia question. It's an easy one for, I know Randy's going to yell it out because he just cannot keep quiet when I ask a question. But when Nathan first opened his mouth, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in. David was not the one to build this house. Now, God's eventually going to have one built, but it's not David's role. David's role is to fight and provide peace, but he's not to build the temple. He doesn't explain that here, but here's your trivia question, and everybody but Randy can answer it out loud. Why did God not want David to build the temple? Man of blood, right? Now you think, why didn't he say that here? Next screen you'll see, I think I put it on here. But the word of the Lord, this is two places to 1 Chronicles, came to me saying, you have shed much blood, have waged great wars. You shall not build a house to my name because you have shed much blood before me on the earth. Your hands are not to be the one to build this house. That's just what God thought. Now, for you young people, here's a challenge. There is a very problematic youth song. These are the days of your servant, David, rebuilding the the temple of praise. Oh, 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 oh. Did David build it? No! But now, here's the deal he did establish praise, right? He was the worshipper and the songwriter and the one who kind of energized people to praise. So he built the praise, but he didn't build the temple. And so we got to be I mean, you know, just be theologically accurate with our songs too. There's one other one other thing he says about why he didn't want him to. It's that God has other plans. God has something else in mind. And it's about David. I really think, as he goes on to explain this, he says, you know what? Um, I, I, I want to build you a house, not you build me a house. And this word house appears several times in this passage. Sometimes it means a structure like David. But what God is saying is, I'm going to build you a house, a, a dynasty. I'm going to build you a lineage of faithfulness, and in you is always going to be the kings, and then one of your children is going to take the throne and never give it up. That becomes Jesus, why he's called Son of David in the New Testament, and why that's such an important trigger. But here, I think, is what God is saying to him. I'm the one who took you from the sheep field. I'm I'm the one who uh, who anointed you. I'm the one who made you great. I'm the one who gives you. You don't build stuff for me. I build stuff for you. If you build me a house, it's like you're providing for me. God says, let's get our theology right. I take care of you. It's sort of like in creation. God made the garden, and then he put the people in it. I provide for you and then you bring me glory in how you handle it. And what, what God wants to say to David, no, my plan is not for you to build me a house. I, I'm going to build you one. And let's get this order right. If God would have said yes to David's plan, he would have let him build a house that would last a little while, and then it would be destroyed, and they would rebuild it, and then it would be destroyed, and then they'd rebuild it, and finally it would be obliterated. And It got in the way of too many people. They would say in the days of Jeremiah, we've got the temple, we've got the temple, we can live any way we want to because we got the temple and it became a laziness thing. God wants something better as a legacy for David. He gives him the throne that will never, ever fade away. Jesus comes along as the son of David. He is the Lord of Lords. He is the King of Kings. He is the one who's over all forever until he hands the kingdom back to God and everything becomes, to God, he is all in all. That is the amazing promise that God wanted David to have. And to say yes to David would mess up God's plans and so what you want as a child of God is you want God's great plan for you, not what you envision. God has this dream for you, the things he's establishing for you. He has plans, and you're part of it. But sometimes we have an idea which sounds so good, but it actually takes you further away from God's plan. You want God to say no. You need God to say no, because your greatest dream, the one that trumps all others, is not my will but yours be done. Your kingdom be done, your, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. To live with God both now and through eternity in favor with him and at peace with him. So let's pray, thy will, a kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because that is what we want most of all. Let's be prayerful people, but always willing to resign ourselves to God's greater purpose rather than our suggestion or idea. May he always bless us and may he always keep us in his purpose and may he never, like that one beautiful song, I can't even think the title of it, may he never let us outlive our love for him. and Whatever he needs to do, if it's say no, if it's to defeat us, Whatever it is, never outlive our love for him. there's anyone who needs to respond this evening, make your needs known and we'll do the best we can to be a people who direct you to the right way. If it's coming to the kingdom, we'd love to see that. If it's to repent of your sin, we'd love to hear it. Whatever it is, make it known as we stand and as we sing.